Welcome to our podcast. This is going to be terrible. If you're joining us for the first time, my name is Robert. I'm James. I'm Nathan. In today's episode, we'll be covering our first terrible movie review. If you couldn't quite tell, there is a question mark in there. It's very hard to notice, but it is subtle. So our terrible movie reviews, I'm not leaving the gap in there, so ha. They're basically, we just review a movie. We are going to decide for ourselves whether it's terrible or not. Some of them will be movies that we've maybe like grown up with. Maybe we just haven't seen in a while. Sometimes it might be something more recent. We are running this ourselves. We decide. For our first terrible review, we have decided to go with the 1986 cult classic, Howard the Duck. Quack. Yes, quack. There will be plenty of duck puns. It, was, it came out in 1986, directed by Willard Hike, and it was written by... Willard Hike and his wife, Gloria Katz, a screenwriting duo. They didn't really actually do much after this, directing-wise, but I'm sure there's no possible reason for that. Maybe we'll find out. Who knows? Personally, I had not actually seen the movie while growing up, but just kind of knowing it by infamy. And then, like, in the early 2000s, when video reviews were a thing, watching a couple of those about it, so when I noticed that it came on the new streaming service Peacock from NBC Universal, I thought, oh, this will be a great time to go ahead and knock this off the list of movies that I probably should at least take a look at, even if I know it's not going to be. So I think Nathan, though, you grew up with it. Is that right? I actually, yeah, I actually did grow up with the movie. It was one of the situations where your parents like, oh, you like one thing, you like Star Wars. Then there's this movie produced by George Lucas called Howard the Duck. You're going to like this movie. And my sister and I being young and naive, yeah, we'll watch a movie about a duck. So I grew up watching it several times. And I actually never learned about the, like, overwhelming hatred about it until I got to college, I think it was, and started seeing YouTube online reviews about how it's a terrible movie. And I just started going, yeah, I guess that was not really a good movie when I was growing up, but you're young and you're just trying to fill in the, the days. I think between the three of us, I'm the only one who has watched it. Robert? Uh, I had never seen Howard the Duck before this viewing. I knew of him, but really my introduction to Howard the Duck came through the newer MCU movies where he makes a cameo. I don't remember which ones, but I don't think he makes one or two cameos in the new MCU. So I learned that he existed uh, and that he was a Marvel comic, but that was about it. Through some of that, I, you know, I hear that there was a movie and it wasn't very great. And I guess just because of that, I never bothered to look into it. So this is my first experience with Howard the Duck, really. So let's go ahead and kick off then our uh, review here. We'll start kind of just flowing through the movie from beginning to end. Uh, the movie kind of starts with our introduction to Howard's homeworld, Duck World. And so this, I think, was kind of like one of my favorite parts of the movie because of the attention to detail that they go through to basically just make it like our world, but everyone's a duck. So you have movie posters, you know, instead of flash dance, it's splash dance. And it's obviously got a duck instead of a human, you know, and they've got a couple other movies there and stuff that, you know, movie posters and stuff to make it look like this world is really all duck people. I think um, too, there was a movie poster for a duck version of Temple of Doom, which I believe that the director also directed Temple of Doom. So that was a nice little nod to that, if uh, I remember things correctly. It was a spoof of Raiders of the Lost Ark called Breeders of the Lost Ark. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. Never mind. Actually, but yeah. it was Breeders of the Lost Stork, which makes even less sense. Wow. I, okay, I, didn't, I thought it said Ark. I just saw RK. No. I understand a need for duck puns. That was the whole point of this intro to Duck World. 
but I don't understand, just for a small tangent, breeders, breeders yeah. of the lost stork. So I think I can explain that because of the whole fairy tale about uh, storks delivering babies, that maybe the idea is that the storks maybe non-sexually breed the babies for delivery. And I don't want to get any more into detail than that. I just, that's my thought process. But as far as why a stork, later on in the film, we actually see there's a dollar bill from Duck World that the audience gets to see that says uh, the United States of Anatity on it. And I had to look up that word because I never heard it before. And it's actually referencing the family group of ducks and geese and swans and things like that. So it, my thought process is that even though it's, it's called Duck World, it's really all types of like bipedal flying birds so sure maybe we'll go back to uh duck world one day in an mcu movie probably not because fun fact so the movie is based on the character the comic character for marvel comics howard the duck created in 1973 by steve gerber and i from what i can understand he didn't have a ton of input on the movie but like after it had come out in interviews and stuff he pretty much he had always envisioned Howard's homeworld as being full of a ton of different kinds of anthropomorphic animals, not just a world of duck. So okay. it would be a world of like, you know, duck people, cat people, dog people, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is just the way the movie people wanted to go. Maybe it wasn't the best. <laughs> but I do like the attention to detail. In his refrigerator, he's got uh, frogs arranged on a plate. I don't know if ducks eat frogs, but I imagine they thought that it would be an, a neat little tidbit to put on there. But just that every part of his apartment had some kind of duck play on things in it. And I, and I like some of that, that detail that they put in there. Uh, mm. The commercials, maybe not so much. I don't know why they had to go with a a jock itch commercial i don't know if if i mean i remember i remember like things like athlete's foot and stuff like that that there was a phase in 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 life where those commercials were prominent you know like i think about like the tough actin tenactin commercials for like athlete's foots and stuff but like was jock itch a thing in the 80s i don't think it was so much that i think it was trying to set more of a tone for the film to kind of let people know there's going to be some serious subjects in here. And this, even though we're trying to make a comedy, it's going to be more adult comedy than it is just like, oh, plop your kids down in front of this movie. My parents did. And watch it. Let your children enjoy this movie. So I think that was a way to try to get people to realize there's going to be some adult stuff in here. Yeah. On that note, definitely not the best movie to plop your kid in front of. If you'll notice, it's rated PG. And as we go throughout this review, if this were re-rated today it would definitely probably be a P-13, mm. which we can kind of forgive for, at the time, the first PG-13 movie was Red Dawn, which came out two years prior in 1984. Mm. So there were not as many movies rated 13 at that point. But still, this should not have been a P no. by today's standards. No. Right. And, and Lou, Dan, and I are going to have a serious conversation. After. No, they're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't involve my parents, Robert. Don't yeah. involve my <laughs> so continuing on with our introduction to Duck World, one major note that I have here that kind of starts some of the what were they thinking theme for me that carries on throughout this movie is two words, duck boobs. Yeah. Why, why the duck boobs? Like I get, I get the idea that they are anthropomorphized humanoid type ducks and that these would be things that would exist in that world but did we really need to see it and then it wasn't enough that they have duck boobs because when we're first introduced to that in in the movie it's through a play duck a playboy spoof you know pinup girl poster right mm-hmm. 
And so someone had to draw duck boots. But or, or more appropriately, somebody had to manufacture a duck suit with duck boobs on it, and then someone had to wear that and pose for a picture. Which you were beating me to my point that oh. right afterwards, you know, he's interrupted by the events that take place to bring him to Earth, and he crashes through a bathroom of a naked female duck bathing where you then see duck boots. So it was, so where you see somebody had made duck boots. So my point is that it wasn't enough for them to just draw duck boots. They made duck boots. And then somebody, like you said, just now wore that <laughs> suit and had to perform in a <laughs> naked anthropomorphized duck body. So I think you're kind of underselling it here a little bit. It's not just the duck boob. Like if you wanted, you know, two shapes of breasts there, feathers, whatever, fine. It has nipples. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the nipples are the overcast. And so I just, I just don't, I don't know why. Like, I don't get what the, the movie one was rated P. So. Which to be fair, there, again, because of the ratings, there are PG movies that do have basic nudity. Like. Sure. I guess because it's an animal, they can get away with that, right? I mean, I don't, but, but still, like, why? Like, <laughs> it's an image that I want to burn out of my skull and I don't think I will. So I, I think that's the only part of the the attention to detail in Duck World that I don't care for. Because it just, it felt like it didn't. Like, it was, I think it was enough to show that Howard was a little bit of a perv by reviewing the play duck. I didn't mm-hmm. think we needed him to crash through a naked duck's bathroom. And then can we, can we talk about how... Well, to be fair, I, he didn't really have a choice in crashing through the bathroom. No, and I, I meant but, but like if in, we're if we're talking about Her- Howard's characterization right now, yeah, he's got a play duck, not the greatest look, but also that. So we go through a list of like he's looking at his mail, and he has a postcard from a female duck who's mm-hmm. you know talking about how much she misses him. Yeah, and then he goes to his answering machine, and he has a message from a different female duck. Is Howard? A womanizer. Is he a two-timing cheater? I mean, aren't ducks known for that? Like in real? I don't know, and I'd that's not duck, something I, I don't. Want to I don't. I wouldn't like the answer. Yeah, I don't. I have this kind of. I have this policy in life that you don't ask the questions you don't want the answers to. <laughs> uh, and since that potentially has an answer, I will not like. I. I'm not going to ask it. So then, why did you ask me what my name was all those? I now you know why I have that. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the the crashing through the that particular scene where he's crashing through the bathroom because the old married couple right they they hear a noise Howard goes crashing through and they have a expected reaction to the events of that happening you know they're they're freaked out or whatever he crashes through the bathroom she doesn't react at all and just continues singing and maybe she's in the moment maybe she's drunk but it was just kind of like and maybe that maybe they were playing it for laughs but it was like this thing just crashed through your your bathroom, like drunk or not, like I feel like something would have freaked her out. It just made it, this the scene stuck out more because you're noticing that she had no reaction to it and she's continuing to sing. And it just made it, it just burned it into my retinas even. So. I mean, I'm sure they did, I'm sure they made that character have that reaction just because for the comedy angle of the whole of, I'm trying to remember how Claptrap says it in this too, subverting expectations like that. Cause you know, Normally you think a woman naked taking a shower is vulnerable. So she's going to try to cover up and try not to be as vulnerable, but she just keeps going with it. So I'm sure that's why they did it. There's plenty more to cover in this movie. So I think we'll go ahead and move on from Duck Boots. One one final note is... Oh, no. So he gets shot through what we find out later is a laser beam and everything. But as he's being shot through, all these other various ducks 
I feel bad for however much money they spent in the budget for all these different variations of the ducks, which we have not talked about yet, but is not great. This is not a great duck costume. Um, lip syncing is terrible. I mean, let's talk about the duck costume because we are introduced to Howard. So we are seeing a bit of the costume. We are seeing other ducks. We've just talked about the so other ducks, ducks that he crashed to the apartment. I actually didn't really have a problem with the duck suit. I'll say that I grew up watching the live action Teenage Mutant. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the duck suit, it reminded me a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And those I grew up with. And so I'm kind of, I have fond memories of those movies. And so maybe that's why I felt the same way about the suit. Like it reminded me of that so much. But I think for the most part, it, it worked well enough. Could it have been done better? Sure. But honestly, how do you make a practical talking duck suit? Lip syncing isn't great. We also remember that this is in the 80s. This is all still pretty early, still pretty brand new. So I'm willing to forgive some of the things like lip syncing and stuff like that. So for me, knowing the time period that this movie was made, I think the suit actually is pretty good. I think there are things that could have been a little bit better by it, but like he's very expressive mm -hmm. uh, and emotive. When he moves around, his gestures and stuff feel is natural. He, they don't though? feel weird to me. Is he um, expressive? Later I think on so. In the movie, later on in the movie, he's trying to intimidate somebody and he's, you know, acting all like grr and mad. You look at that face. That's not an angry face to me. It maybe had like little eyebrows that moved a little bit, mm -hmm. but it was just, it was not great. It was maybe because the beak doesn't move all. as much. You see that? Like, because like if you like frown or if you smile, then the corners of your lips go way up and down. You can't really do that with a beak. So maybe having just the slight eyebrow movement was all that the suit was capable of and maybe even all that this is capable of if we're willing to just you know extend disbelief of reality however that phrase is i tend to lean with robert here because i don't want to compare it to today's standards of of course cgi but also of animatronics if you think about the fact that this was over three decades ago it was made and the fact that there is somebody in that suit who is moving around who's walking around on set and then he basically has a whole puppet in front of his face that will do the whole articulation for him. That's pretty impressive that all of that was fit within an inch of his face and still able to do all the different animatronics and points of articulation for the eyes, not the nose, but like the eyebrows. I noticed the eyes themselves would look around on set, maybe not so much, but they did do it. It maybe, maybe wasn't consistent. Like you said, near the end of the movie, it wasn't as expressive, but at the parts where he's talking like a person, when it's very important for him to emulate a human posture as much as possible, that's when it counts. Howard has a lot of like moments where he's being sarcastic or facetious. You see it in his face. It's not just in his tone of voice. You see the, like he kind of has a look of like that, oh really kind of look in his face or, you know, that Willy Wonka condescending, tell me how you really feel kind of like, you can see it in his face. While I agree with James, it does not work all the time, like mm -hmm. in that scene where he's trying to intimidate, mm -hmm. I still think it worked well enough for the entire, throughout the entire movie. I still think it worked. I'm, I'm just gonna leave it that I was not impressed. Yeah. And Maybe okay. they, it would have, I'm not sure how it would have worked budget wise, but if they could have gone with like an actual puppet maybe instead, like look at, we have E.T. that came out, I believe in 82. Look at how lifelike that puppet is mm -hmm. versus this duck. But to be fair, E.T a lot of the times was in shadow, was in the shopping cart on the basket. Like he wasn't necessarily always walking around fully in frame, but, you know, partly because he was a puppet, didn't really have somebody in him like the duck did. So, I mean, to me, E.T. was more of a prop than he was a character. 
in the context of producing the movie, not so much in telling the story. Yeah. Kind of like Yoda in uh, in the Star Wars movies, the first three. You know, he was definitely more of a puppet, more of a prop that was just kind of placed there and then told to do things. And I mean, yeah, storyline-wise, he was a character, but I mean, as far as on set, he wasn't just a prop. You can't have Yoda or E.T., the way that they were created in those movies, walking around with the characters in an open environment like they did with Howard. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and I think, though, that's the larger suit at play, where you're not concentrating on his face and his, you know, how the faces he's making or his beak moving. I do see some of what James is talking about. I, I think it's still, I think for me, it works. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. There is a point later in the movie where I'm probably about 95% sure that they used a puppet as opposed to a guy in a, and it is not great. Okay. And maybe we'll come back to it when we get to that point. Sure. We should um, probably move on. Yeah, so <laughs> Howard is shot out of his apartment over a laser beam, like James was saying, and he drops into Cleveland. What we learn a little bit later on after he gets there is Cleveland. Mm -hmm. I do want to point out, I don't know if you guys noticed this, as he's being shot through space, the world that he was on, did you notice it was egg-shaped? Egg-shaped, yes. Yeah. So and that, that makes me wonder, is this an alternate reality or is this just another planet somewhere in the universe, in our universe? And that really isn't a question that is answered or can be answered with this movie. But I thought, I kept noticing little things like that that were almost setups for, not that it was a big deal to do sequels and trilogies in that time period, it wasn't. Star Wars was, un, it was unheard of to do three movies like Star Wars did in that time. But it was kind of neat that they were setting up little Easter eggs for you to look for that could potentially answer things like that. Based on the science later in the movie, I'm just gonna chalk this up to they wanted another duck puck. And I'm sure that's what it was. But again, I kept seeing little things like that that made me think, oh, this could be a setup for further details in another movie they decided to, or in a TV show. So Howard arrives in Cleveland. I, I wrote a note that the fall doesn't kill him, but it's a movie, it's a comic book movie. I can get where there may be, there, like, there's some room for suspension of disbelief there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just found like, they made it a point to kind of make it a gag is falling like he's hitting things and bouncing off of them he crashes through a billboard then through a roof then bounces off of something else and lands in the the armchair and it was one of those like again I, I guess they're playing it for last but it felt more gag funny than it was just to show him crashing through and landing like I didn't need the gag part of it I felt like it, that part just felt flat for me. the way I interpret that when I was younger that's carried through all these years is that that was more of a setup for his own transition in that, yes, we as the audience see that he physically moved from one place to another, but from his mind space, he was on the chair, he has a weird incident, and he wakes up in a chair. So that mm -hmm. way, it's a little bit more easier for him to transition into that's how I always explain it to myself. And yeah, you're right. It is very weird that he went through all of that stress, physical stress of knocking his head around and everything. But it just, to me, it was like a way to help the character seem more real and likable and that we could connect with him more that he fell asleep, well, not didn't fall asleep on a chair, but he was on a chair and then wakes up in a chair. I don't know if it makes any sure. sense. Why is, was, is Cleveland really that bad? Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I'll be, I'll be honest. I don't know anything a lot or anything at all about Cleveland, but like, was 1980s Cleveland really so rough and dirty? To provide some context here for what Robert's talking about, Howard lands in this recliner, which is not the same recliner that he left out of. I, it took me a second viewing to remember that, oh wait, yeah, when we see him leave Duck World, his old recliner fires back to the planet and leave. Mm -hmm. So goodbye chair, and now he's on a new one. Conveniently mm -hmm. placed, whatever. But he wakes up and there are a bunch of street punks, very, 
vicious looking, I guess. I don't know. They're acting tough. You see all sorts of close-up shots of them growling and like, getting their fists ready. You have no idea what's going on. Howard has no idea what's going on. And it just makes you think, yes, like Robert said, is Cleveland this bad? We see a whole montage of him going from these street punks getting thrown into a club getting thrown out of a club, getting thrown into the middle of a motorcycle gang. Yep. Satan's sluts. And then he just keeps getting thrown around back and forth and eventually lands up in a barrel. And he's just like, I'm going to pull this cover over me. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Nope. Just felt kind of weird for Cleveland to just be so rough and tumble. I, I mean, maybe they were going for trying to make the whole jarring experience that he's in this new world and not every, like they wanted his first experience in the world to kind of be very jarring and frightening and so they went with this whole being attacked by a gang to be thrown in a club out of a club into another gang to escape that gang, barely make it out alive or whatever but it was like is this some sort of joke about cleveland because even even when he's told that he's in cleveland he's like yeah that's a great name for this world like almost making fun of cleveland so I'm curious if there's something we just don't know about Cleveland here that the movie was trying to tell us. Felt very weird to me. This whole montage is set to the backdrop of the introduction of the character of Beverly, played by Leah Thompson, doing this like rock, synth rock 80s tune that just really does not fit with what's going on to Howard. But I think it fit the timeline of the 80s and that it would not have been uncommon to have like an underground rock band playing in a, in a street corner like that, and that you might hear that music spilling over onto the street. Honestly, I thought all the music they played fit very well for the time period and the fact that they were in a rundown part of the city, yeah. except for the one slow song that she was playing in the band later on, and then she makes them stop and goes to a more upbeat one. But I mean, they acknowledge that within the movie. I have a note here about that was quite the bitch slap. The motorcycle chick slaps Howard off of the, off the front of the bike. And he flies the sum what looks like probably a good 30, 40 feet into the barrel. The physics wow. of this movie, along with a lot of the other science, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not <laughs> yeah. like that where it seems like, all right, so what does this duck weigh? Five pounds? Yeah. Th there's a few more instances of that throughout the movie. Yeah. What's a duck weigh? <laughs> About five pounds. <laughs> um, and, and maybe to James's point that the duck suit doesn't look great, everyone attacks Howard on their first sight of him. They're either repulsed by or immediately attack him. The, the gang members grab him and throw him into the club. The guy they throw him into kind of tosses him off in disgust. You know, the, the biker gang attacks him. The, maybe the garbage truck wasn't trying to run him over, but it almost felt like it was. You know, like maybe he did look about, I just found that very strange. Everyone attacked him. And maybe that is to James's point that he doesn't look appealing so they may and be yet, freaked out and want to attack it and yet he may not look appealing so the first gang's reaction is like let's throw it at this geeky looking guy and say ha 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 here's your date to get into the club gets into the club the bouncer's like you look like a kid in a costume i'm gonna throw you out yet the geeky guy is like that's my date <laughs> what what i, don't, I did I, not this catch movie, that this movie we are going to have to kind of speed through this a little bit, but there is just so much that does not make logical sense. And you can kind of forgive some things because it's a movie about a duck, an alien mm -hmm. duck coming to Earth. But my God, I don't understand some of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think James is telegraphing his summary of the movie here uh, for us a little early. So, so just also a quick thing from my notes. 
going back real quickly. So we have Leah Thompson playing the female in this movie because there's like one or two others, maybe? There's that female look at the beginning. Oh, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking human character. Oh, but there's the, the, the her bandmates. Her bandmates. I feel bad for yeah. Leah Thompson. Going from Back to the Future a year prior to this to Howard the Duck. A poor girl. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pour one out for Leah Thompson. <laughs> We have this montage of everything is terrible for Howard set to the backdrop of 80s music. And then we cut to attempted rapes. Yeah. This movie is not great. That goes back to that whole Cleveland being rough thing. Like maybe they struggled to find like a, to set up like a a meet. How did, how do we get Howard and and Beverly to meet? Maybe they want to establish that Howard is also resilient, right? He's not just a pushover duck. Mm -hmm. He knows quack foo. We get that introduction in this scene. So they needed to, they needed, they needed manufactured tension to resolve Mm -hmm. uh, some kind of incident for Howard to to jump in and get involved in this world. Because like you said, in the, in the barrel, he kind of pulls the lid and he's like, all right, I'm done. I'm checking out. They needed a way to get him back into the, into the world. But did it have to be an attempted rape scene? Couldn't it have just been a mugging maybe, you know? If it's the scene I'm thinking about, it's where he has his hand on the girl's leg. No, oh, this is after he's in the barrel. Oh, and gotcha. they they push Beverly into the barrel. Right. Uh, they make a they they start messing with her by saying like, "Will you sign my shirt?" Yeah, yeah. Because they know that. that she was singing in the band, and then the other guys like, "Will you sign my shorts or whatever?" Yeah. And then they start pushing her over the barrel. Right. Uh, literally mm-hmm. trying to get her over a barrel here. It was just one of those like, why did it have to be again PG? Mm-hmm. Why did it have to be a you know an attempted rape scene? Why could they have not just like held her at knife point and said, give me all your money, mm-hmm. you know, and, and leave it at that, you know, and then they have, have them have pushed her back up against the barrel, you know, and then obviously the power thing. But I just, yeah, the, the whole rape thing is not a great choice to, to put in, in this as the, the way to get Howard involved. So this might be a stretch and I apologize for this, but there's some subtleties to the hero who is rescuing someone and the, the crime that's being committed to the victim. So if she was just being mugged, Howard stands up to defend her or anybody in that situation. Is he protecting the little guy? Is he just be trying to be a superhero? I don't think they're really going for a superhero feel with this movie that Howard is a hero who stands up for good and justice and people don't get you know stolen from whatever. But I think they're trying to set it up that he is defending those who need defense, obviously. But like he has his own moral code, which is you don't force yourself on people. So I think they were trying to insinuate that possibly. Because again, if they went with a mugging, it's not as noble as it is standing up for someone who is getting, you know, attempted rape on it. Mm-hmm. On I think that's possibly the connotation they might have been going. She's trying to set him up as a more heroic character than just defending everybody. Maybe I mean, they yeah. were going for the, because of Howard's character, you know, they established that, like James said, there was a female duck that wrote him a letter or postcard, the female duck on the, the answer machine. He's reading the Play Duck magazine. So maybe they needed something to kind of bring it back to show that maybe Howard's not a total pig, that he's, he's rescuing the girl right. kind of deal. And, and I misspoke too. I meant that they're trying to set him up as more of an anti-hero than a hero, not the traditional hero, but someone who has his own moral code that he will stand up for. And it just so happens to be protecting. That's what I was trying to say. What was yeah, that? The attempted rape. He saves her by using quack foo, which is at least a thing from the comics. Okay. And it is. It gives him another duck pun. So that's I fun. do love the delivery of that line, though, because the way he says quack almost sounds like he is quacking. And I think, in all honesty, that was the best duck pun throughout the entire movie. He's like, quack foo. Like, listening to it again, it was like, that was actually really well delivered. Yeah. 
I think that's also a little like missed opportunity to have that have him do that more because later on in the movie, and I've got a note on that when we get to that scene, he caws at people. He doesn't quack at people. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but James, you were saying, so rape scene, he saves her. Right. And then we get an actual proper introduction between Beverly and Howard, where she just kind of, it seems like she's wondering, am I dreaming this? This seems like a really weird nightmare. Like he tries to ask her, where are we? What is this place? What is this planet? And she's like, earth, I think. (laughs) Like, I don't know if they're trying to set it up. Like she doesn't know what's going on. If they're trying to portray her as like an airhead type person, I'm not really sure. I definitely think it was more shock of having this human-sized duck in front of you that's talking to you in English that you can understand, and he just saved your your tail, no pun intended, against two people trying to rape you, and she's just still trying to process all that. Yeah, I think she's still kind of going through that trauma, like she's still like, I was, someone just tried to rape me, and a duck rescued me? What the heck is going on? Am I having a dream? Is this really going on? Because yeah, I made a note about her. Beverly doesn't know that the planet is called Earth. When I first watched it, but then when I saw it again, it's played more as a like, she says it almost like she doesn't believe herself. Like she's saying like, it's Earth, but then she's thinking about the situation. She's like, is, is it Earth? Yeah. <laughs> Am I somewhere else? Because if I'm on Earth, we don't have talking ducks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they, they play her as an airhead. There are moments where it may feel like that, but I feel like they've done enough to show that She's pretty with it. Like she knows to take him to Phil later on in the movie who may or may not be useful <laughs> as we, when we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, but yeah, she knew she had a place to take him. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like she just stood there like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just, you know, whatever. Like, you know, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to where they meet. Uh, they're they're going to part ways. But then she notices he's alone and offers to like have him come with her to her apartment to have a place to stay. He's kind of like lost doesn't know where to go but when she's at the apartment like she's not just a ditz about anything like she offers him food you know she she's got beer in the fridge and she's a beer she seems to be taking this pretty well where I feel like someone who if they were playing her off as an airhead she would be a little more discombobulated not you know have absolutely no clue what to do like I think she's taking it well enough to where I feel like she's not that much of a and in point of order with that, you know, she offers the beverage in a bowl at first thinking, oh, he's not quite human. He's more animal. And every animal I know drinks, you know, water out of a bowl. And so, yeah, if she was more airheaded, she might have been like, oh, there's beer in the fridge. Help yourself or whatever. But she was actually trying to think of how to accommodate this person in her life. I want to go, Bill. I want to go back actually real quick because I have a note here. I don't know why it's out of order. One of the gang members, they, the ones that try to, to rape Beverly, says... When they see when they see Howard, they're like, "Oh, I think I'm doing too much toot." Yeah. <laughs> what is what is toot? Is that an '80s slang for for cocaine or something that, uh, I, that, that I've never heard of? That is what I found. Yes. Oh, cool. It is slang for cocaine. Oh, interesting. Oh. Uh, it's just a very very weird way to be introduced to that slang for the first time. <laughs> like I'm doing too much toot, and I'm like, toot? <laughs> what? Be sure like, and ask your doctor about. Brand name Toot. So, um, but they go back to her apartment. It, it kind of felt a little strange that she was taking it all pretty well, but I think she was kind of just taking it in stride. And I think that, again, goes back to the point where she's not an airhead. She's not dumb. They do set her up as kind of a tough character. She's starting her own band in a, what does she call it? A, a, a garbage mung hole, you know? So she's looks like someone who's been through some stuff. 
And that's probably why this doesn't phase her as much as I, at, on first viewing, I thought it would. Like one of my notes was everybody has an expected reaction to Howard except for Beverly. Like everyone's freaked out by him except for her. Well, no, not really. The reaction to Howard is very inconsistent in this movie. It is, yes, yes. yes. There are some people who will freak out at him, but as we'll go through later in the movie, there are some people that are just like, whatever, I don't care. But again, that goes to the expected reaction. Like you would expect a scientist to be like, eh, whatever, but a random person on the street walking down, seeing a, a you know, human-sized duck walking, they'd be willing to freak out, possibly be hostile, definitely be you know, uh, standoffish. So I, I think you've got to be careful with how you say that. Yes, it's not consistent throughout the movie. Not everybody hates him, not everybody loves him, but for the character that they are training, I think they do have the expected reactions, and that is... Yeah, and I... and I. As but I agree with James. This, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. No, no, no. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I agree with James. The reactions to Howard can be inconsistent. I'm talking about specifically between he arrives on Earth and meets Beverly, that everybody up until that point is either repulsed, disgusted, or angered by him. You know, like the bouncer thinks it's a, it's a kid in a suit, so kicks him out of the club, with the exception of the geeky guy, but I think that was just played for laughs. The, the gang members think he's disgusting and throw him at the geek. The gang members are repulsed by him, like, what the heck is this thing? Get it off, and they smack him off the bike. The, the two guys trying to rape Beverly clearly thought they were high because, you know, was he doing too much toot? How much toot is too much toot? If I'm tooting my own horn, is that also some kind of slang for cocaine? Like, anyway, let's move on from toot. The point is that up until this point, the react I feel the reactions for Howard were expected with, with the exception of Beverly, who's like not really freaked out by Howard. When everybody else has some sort of, whoa, this is totally not normal and I'm going to have a little bit more of an overreaction to than just Beverly's like, am I dreaming kind of, kind of reaction to it. But I do agree with James. The reactions to him in the world after his introduction are wildly inconsistent. You know, I think about the bus scene He's on a bus. This is shortly after. I'm kind of jumping a little ahead, but there's like, because we're talking about that, there is a bus scene where Howard is on the bus and he's getting off the bus and people are reacting to him as he gets off. But Howard mm-hmm. has been on the bus. He yeah. got on why, the bus. Why did nobody say the bus. about this stuff when they got on the bus? Yeah, like why did they not all do that when they got on, when he got on the bus, but they waited till he got off? So I think that some of that is like what James is talking about in terms of reactions to Howard. There's at least the guy when he's leaving the bus, just popping his head out, screaming, that's a, that's duck, a duck, man. That's a duck, man. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. But I mean, if you think about it, again, how tall is he? People, like the bouncer mistook him for a child. Maybe he did get on the bus, scared the people off, went to the back so he wouldn't be noticed. And then new people came on, never seen him because him being so short in the back. That's an explanation, okay? I agree that scene was not really written very well. It should have been done differently other than him getting off a bus suddenly and then people reacting like that. I'm not going to say that scene is perfect or brilliant, just that that there is an explanation. Yeah. Let's double back before we we jump. We skip, we're skipping a couple things here. Um, They're in the apartment. He asks for a beer. She gives him a beer. They kind of talk for a little bit. The apartment starts shaking, sending Howard into, you know, a PTSD moment where he thinks that whatever brought him to this world is happening to him again. And she explains it as a garbage truck passing by. I think she just said a big truck. A big truck. Yeah. Still, a, a big truck shaking the apartment that much. That was a pretty big um, you know, truck. Con- that, that building should probably be condemned. I mean, they do a point to make it look like 
it's a disheveled place and it probably should be condemned, but like that must have been one really big truck. I, I think a better line would have been, oh, that's just the Metro or something like that, you know, yeah. but yeah, big truck is a bit part. It, it looked like she might be living in some sort of loft in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. So like, it's probably not the best area. It's just weirdly very spacious for what it seems like she doesn't have much to put towards it. Yeah. Howard in the apartment eventually falls asleep, probably just kind of tuckered out from the events that have taken place up to the point. Because a lot has happened to him in, in the first few minutes. I do, there's, there's more of this attention to detail where his wallet falls out and she opens it and kind of goes through things. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught it. He lives in Washington, D.C. Uh, instead of that. Washington, D.C. They show hatch day instead of birthday. The street he lives on is Lakeside. <laughs> uh, so there are little things like that that I thought were that I thought were cute in a sense. I guess would be the word. Oh, but then you get to the rest of the world. Hold on, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. He's got the cards in his wallet instead of Mastercard. We got Mallard card. We got Blooming Ducks instead of Blooming Dales. The the only disappointment there is that no, there is another disappointment. But the disappointment with the with the detail in the cards is that the American what's obviously an American Express card. If you've seen any of those cards growing up, is upside down. So we don't get to see what the card is called. And I really wanted to see what they would have called American Express. If the, if the dollar bill said United States of Anatity, Anatity? Uh, um, would it have been Anatity card, Anatity Express? Uh, or would it have been something else? Because United States of America, United States of Anatity, you know, would they have done the same thing with the card? So I kind of wanted to know what, I was hoping that she would have pulled it out. of. But then, but then, she pulls out a condom. At least it wasn't spiral shaped. <laughs> sure. Let's not talk about how you know that duck genitalia are spiral. You know but, that? You know, it's I, common I, fact. I heard it somewhere, yeah. but I was hoping you can hear it talking about spiral duck genitalia. But, uh, you know, because as, as if the condom in the wallet wasn't bad enough, she pulls out a condom and she, her reaction to it is almost like intrigued. Is, is intrigued the word? Like, her, her reaction she's, and she's like, Howard, like, yeah. you know, oh, you filthy boy, you kind of attitude. But like, but I don't know, like, I felt like there was some, she was intrigued by the fact that this duck has sex. But the fact that she's intrigued uh, was disturbing. To me, it, it seemed, it came across as like exasperated. Like, of course, I'm dealing with a man here. Of course, he would have something like this, is how I always saw that. I, j- I just got to say, you're kind of missing the thing, the main point here. It's an unwrapped condom. I did, I, I, I did, uh, so I didn't notice um, that. You try to say that maybe they're trying to say at least he's a safe sex duck. Well, why is this not in a wrapper? Mm. That is not sanitary at all. That's it fair. Is not. I did not catch at that. all. It is not. Yeah, the scene would have played just as well if it was a wrapped condom. You could have whatever text on there to indicate that it's what it is. That, it that could have been another duck pun, right? Mm-hmm. A, a duck-themed condom company? Or just a, you know, you could do Trojan duck condoms packs. and have the, the beak on the helmet or whatever. Thing. But yeah, I uh, this is another one of those, it's G-rated, it's PG uh, movie kind of things. But there's something we'll get into later on, you know, related to this. Another reason why it shouldn't be G, but it's just, did it, did they, did he really need to have a condom in the wallet? Did we need this scene for anything? We've already established that there are multiple women that are into him. I don't think we need to show that he has a condom unless they're just trying to further drive the point home that Howard hey, whoa, whoa, is a player. Whoa. Careful there. Drive the point home. 
So real so. quick before we move on to the next day. So one thing I wrote down, he, uh, Howard describes himself to Beverly he, that he was in, you know, medical school. He was going to be a doctor, but he gave that up to be a construction worker by day, rock band by night, to then all of a sudden he got a real job last month as an advertising copywriter. Yes. What kind of career path is all this? Well, I mean, they do establish that Howard was kind of, his parents wanted him to be a doctor. Mm. He didn't want it. And so he dropped out. He wanted to start a band. So he did a job. Construction is what they picked during the day that gave him freedom at night to do, you know, his band. Mm. But then Word was being the told all the time to grow up. So he gives up the band. It didn't work, you know, for whatever reason. And then he goes into copywriter. But yes, I agree that if he gave up the band because people were telling him to give to to grow up why did he not get a job in a field he in the field he was studying or go back to or just go back to just doing full-time construction it is weird that he just kind of went medical i'm going to leave medical because i want to do construction which makes sense but then i'm going to be an advertising copywriter i feel like the natural thing would have been okay well i'm going to go back to medical like maybe i, I i'm not going to go back to school and study but i can just work as a dental assistant or something I mean, I, I get what you guys are saying, but I mean, looking at my own career path, I never thought I'd be working in pharmaceutical. Never, ever, ever. Much less working in finance, because I've always just loved, you know, physics and science. And here I am dealing with, with money and drugs. And it's just like, <laughs> how did I even get into this job? Like, I know how I got into this job. And it was definitely not, it was, it was an opportunity that just kept snowballing better and meeting my needs and everything. That is maybe not the best way to describe your job. Nathan, Nathan, is, Nathan. Is, no, 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 Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. Let's, let's get real. I need you to, I'm going to get up and close here because I'm going to look into your eyes when you say this. All okay. Right. Are you a, t <laughs> I need to know, Nathan. Not everybody. Inquiring <laughs> minds need to know. No, I am not a two dealer. Okay. <laughs> so we move on. Howard goes to sleep. He's been very tuckered out by his ordeal. The next day, Beverly is like, all right, she knows somebody that she can bring him to. That's all well and good. It's a scientist at a museum. Awesome. She takes Howard there in a taxi, in a garbage bag. With holes? With holes. There is a hole for his duck bill. But why is she worrying about dragging him there in a garbage bag? It's not very conspicuous. Howard is complaining the entire time. As we've already seen so far in this movie, nobody cares about this duck. And this is the only time throughout the movie that they try to hide him. It makes no sense. Yeah. And it, and it does make her look crazy to everybody that she's talking to a garbage bag with holes in it. Yeah. And people offer her assistance because she's struggling to carry this. We don't know how much Howard weighs, but proportionally, he's probably at least 60 to 90 pounds, maybe. I mean, I don't know. That biker lady slapped him 40 feet away. He could weigh, he could weigh five ounces, all we know. <laughs> I mean, hey. Aren't, duck bo aren't, aren't, were... bi aren't birds bones hollow? Uh, flight, yeah, flight bird. But a they duck make a point is a flight of... bird. They make a point of later bringing up the evolution of Duck World that they no longer fly. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's fair. This is true. So we meet Phil. We meet the entire cast of the Big Bang Theory in one character. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good assessment of Phil. I like that. that I very good assessment. I saw of that Phil. from, but that was from another YouTube reviewer, and I was just like, "That's brilliant. I have to use that." Yeah. So we meet Phil, and the, can I? And I. I like, like, I want to be careful not to say this is a, like surprise Tim Robbins, but for me, it was surprise Tim Robbins. Like, I did not expect to see him in this movie. And I get that this, this movie was made a long time ago where a lot of people didn't have big names. But like, when I saw Tim Robbins, I was like, 
this is crazy, you know? And then he's playing a crazy, completely off the wall character. Can I say that while the majority of the characters in the movie, with the exception of his girlfriend, don't really care for Phil, for Phil, he was probably my favorite character just because of how just goofy and, and crazy he was. Like he did play the mad, I think the mad scientist in the more mad than scientist uh, category very, very well. What a, what a much like the rest of the movie, much like the rest of the movie, he, he just does not make a lot of sense. No. We, we meet him, he goes and he sees Howard and he's just like, oh my gosh, look at this, tries to run out to go talk to his fellow scientists and doesn't even bother to say anything. He just rushes into a big meeting of all them and is like, yeah, no, I'm going to leave now. He does not make any sense. He talks like two minutes later after trying to explain some sciencey thing to Howard and Beverly about duck evolution. Mm -hmm. He talks about his career path that it turns out he is just like a lab assistant. He's not even a full scientist, but he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go from being a lab assistant. Once I finish my schooling, I'm going to have my own museum. That's, yeah, that's pretty quick. Also, Does that happen? Really? <laughs> Did you notice the lab that they first meet at Phil in is labeled like paleontology and ichthyology, which has nothing to do with ducks? <laughs> and I think that Beverly just thought, I need a scientist to take him to. She knows Phil because of one of the bandmates. You, you, at that point in the movie, used to date him. And so she just know, and he probably embellished his career to them when they knew each other and that he was a scientist. So it would explain why she, that he would be the one person that she would think to take him to. But man, this character is just all, all over. But, but for being all over the place, I think Tim Robin played him very well. I laughed every time this guy was on the screen and maybe not because he was funny, but just because of how awful. It, it reminded me a lot of the way Jim Carrey plays all of his characters, like he's overacting. And that just, it, it just, it, it tickled my- But we're introduced to Phil in my opinion, not a great character. <laughs> and eventually we lead to, you know, Beverly and Howard having to leave because Phil was going to do some research or whatever. And then we get some forced conflict between Beverly and Howard. Howard feels that nobody has been showing him any respect. He's kind of had enough of Earth. They at least use a line from the comics. Beverly mentions that he is trapped in a world you never made. So I guess cool comic reference. Mm -hmm. But then it just leads to them having an argument and Beverly huffing off and Howard is just sitting by a pond and he's like, well, I guess I've got to work on all these practical, you know, things I've got to do. I better look for a job. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Do what, you really expect he... to get a job in this world? Right. I mean, apparently, so we then meet him at a job placement area. The lady fully not acknowledging that he's a duck human thing. And is just like, we're going to find you a job because we don't want you being lazy and sucking at the teat of government. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably paraphrasing that, but what is going on with this lady? I think she thinks that he's in a suit because she does mention that she doesn't about like, you think you can get away without getting a job because you look controversial. So I think maybe like, maybe they're talking about, is it a diss against where, where furries a thing in, sure. in the 80s? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a dig against people who like to dress up as animals. But even then, so he goes to this 
job placement. His ID is from Duck World. How is that ID going to work at this government job placement place? Uh, see, the thing is, is that, yeah, but see, the thing is, is that Nathan being in, you know, drugs and money has connections to fake IDs. So off screen, Nathan provided Howard a fake ID. And to, and to make it even worse, this was happening while Nathan was a child. Lou, Dan, we need to talk. We need to talk about your son. That was a Back oh. to Future reference. Leah Thompson, no? So the lady is like, all right, I'm going to get you a job. After he almost assaults her, he's going to go and he tries to bite her and is only foiled because she sticks a file in his mouth. Whatever, fine. He goes to his job. The scene is pointless. <laughs> Utterly pointless. I could almost forgive this next scene if it was a montage of him doing a lot of wacky odd jobs. Cool, whatever. We get him going to one job, one. But they do mention in the conversation with the lady how he had failed all these other jobs. And do you know why you came to me? Because I'm the one who actually finds a job. For people. So but they don't show that. I understand. I don't but recall they do. a mention of him failing other jobs. You don't remember that? There, there is that specific she does th- say a thing about they sent you to me because you know like she makes a point of saying like I'm the person that gets you the job you're going to keep kind of thing mm. or find a job that you're going to fit in in hindsight there is some implication that he had other jobs and didn't they didn't work or that they he they had other jobs and they just they couldn't find a job for him but I I still agree with James like it would have been better to show him failing at multiple jobs, even better if all the jobs were, if he was kind of being held to jobs that were good for ducks. Like, cause she was like, I'm going to give you a job that you're going to be good at or something like that. And then it had to be, he was basically, they show him, and this is the part that doesn't make any sense either, is that he's walking around pushing a cart with towels and antibiotics maybe on him. We should mention he's sent to a hot tub the job it's basically is at a, a hot tub. A place. brothel of sorts, it looks like. Yeah. You know, but he's sent there, and later we learn from the manager that he was hired as the water guy, you know, to fix the hot tubs, you know, because of, because of the water there. But, like, it, it would have been better to show him failing multiple jobs that involved something to do with water or him being a duck. They wanted him to do something where he had to service airplanes because he can fly but we learn later he doesn't and stuff like that it just it was pointless in the sense that he does the one job quits and like he it's it's very weird because like james said why does he even have to give a job in the first place but whatever he makes a determination that i have to get a job the movie shows him get one job and Mm -hmm. then he gives up entirely on getting a job which again real quick another point for it not being PG, this is, like Robert said, practically a brothel. Everybody there is just about in the middle of, mm-hmm. like, they're showing as much as they can for it just not probably being an R according to Yeah. And then... But then he quits the job. He's had enough. He doesn't like his boss, whatever. It's all pointless. We go to the bus scene that we referenced earlier. He leaves the bus. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, it's a dock. Fine. Whatever. We get another quick point about him possibly having PTSD because he's in front of a TV at a shop and sees an advert about duck season Mm -hmm. and about ducks being shot intercut with Daffy Duck and all of a sudden in the background a truck backfires sounding like a gunshot and he's like oh no and runs away cool Howard has (laughs) PTSD real quick we learn in that job that Howard cannot swim so like not only do ducks not fly anymore but some of them 
at least don't know how to swim. But I mean, I just, I just found that really weird for them to for that to be a thing to point out that he can't swim. I think that was just trying to set up that he that we as the audience have expectations for him that he can fly, that he'd swim and do other duck like things. And it's just clarifying that no, he does have, and it's making a point of that for later on when he does end up in water to, you know, just, okay, yeah, he can't swim, whatever. It's, but, it's the, it's the laziest of foreshadowing for it being another concern at the end of the movie. Especially when, honestly, it won honestly, it's not even like the scene at the end of the movie about it. They mention it again and that's it. Like, He's no, in the right. water and he's instantly out of the water because somebody drags him out of it. It's not even like a, oh no, I'm going to drown. Here I am falling to a bottom of a pool and at mm. the last second I'm saved. No, it's just like, all right, cool. You're out of the water now. You're right. And I wasn't trying to say that it was foreshadowing, but I'm just trying to say that it's trying to help the audience not to hold certain expectations of Howard, that he doesn't have all the capabilities we would think he would have just because he resembles a duck is what I was trying to say. Yeah, I, um, and I see Nathan's point. I see your point. And then real quick, then we can move on from the, the pointless hot tub brothel scene is that the manager, we learn that because the manager throws him into the hot tub with a couple mm-hmm. seemingly in the middle of getting it on. Mm-hmm. Like, and this, this goes to what James was talking about earlier, that everybody's reactions are wildly inconsistent throughout the film as you continue to watch because like, they just keep going at it. Like, you just had a humanoid duck thrown into your hot tub where you are in the middle of getting it on that humanoid duck is screaming that he cannot swim and is thrashing around in the water for for a bit however brief and they just keep going like almost like they're into it. it's just why <laughs> why do, why is that their reaction why are they not i mean you would imagine just be like oh my god what the heck is that thing and they're not helping him because they're freaked out by him no they're not helping him because they're still having sex. Why is the proper response to this movie? Which brings me <laughs> to my next point. Gets on this bus, gets off. Where was he heading? What was his plan? He eventually makes his way to the alley that he arrived at. On but accident. Only after, but on accident because he was scared away by the truck. What was his original plan? Where was he going to spend the night? If he had not ended up in this alley, where was he going to go? So while I definitely agree that these that this sequence of scenes from him having the fallen out with Beverly to the point that he reunites with was not handled well, I think the whole thing, though, we need to remember is that that's showing that Howard does not belong in this world, being the person, being the duck that he has been his entire life, and that if he wants to integrate, he's different. He has to understand that you know, he does recognize he needs a job, so that's a bit of growth there, which, you know, kind of, like, nice. But then the whole fact with the duck hunting, I mean, if you went to another world where giraffes were in charge and they hunted humans, and you just saw that on TV, on broadcast, that it's human season, you know, it's monkey season or whatever, and then you hear what sounds like a gunshot, I'd be scared too. So oh, that, I'm, I mean, not, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve to have PTSD. I'm stating that he does. I'm saying he doesn't have PTSD. Yeah, I don't think it's a PTSD thing, James. I think yeah. he's freaked out by the discovery that we eat and hunt and yeah. kill ducks for sport. For sport. Uh, we put them sustenance. in our food. Yeah. You know, I think that was, I think it was less PTSD than it was him freaked out by the fact that he learns that we actually, but, yeah. he, but I think James's real point here is that we don't have any, that Howard has no direction here. He's basically on a bus and he gets off voluntarily. Mm-hmm where we don't we're not given any sort of indication of what's next he just 
he quits his job and then he's on a bus and gets off the bus in a random alley. Maybe that's the point. Maybe he is just wandering and then he paid for a certain amount of time on the bus and that's the time he has on the bus and now he has to get off. Sure. We don't know. They don't tell us, but it's not like we have to know. And that might be a way that they're communicating that, yes, he is directionless and wandering right now. You as an audience don't know where he's going because he doesn't know where he's going. He's just trying to find some place to go to, some place where he isn't going to be thrown into water, that he's not going to be questioned about, you know, what he can and can't do for whatever, that he won't get hunted just for sport or for food or anything like that. I mean, is it communicated great? Hell no. But I mean, there is still reasons and rationales behind what is going on on scene with what he's doing. So he's back at the club. He goes into the club and has the has a run-in with the manager of Beverly's band. The band is called Cherry Bomb, if we didn't mention it earlier. And also early in the movie, she establishes that they're having issues with the manager. The manager's not paying them, has them in a contract that's unreasonable. So he meets the manager and then demands money from the manager and basically breaks out into a fight where he uses some more of his quack foo to strong arm the manager into getting them out of the contract and giving them the money. Um, And this is the scene I was referencing earlier where they basically throw him off of the bar and then he comes back and he tries to act all intimidating. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just fell flat. The facial expressions did not work for him being an angry duck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't get anything. I didn't have any specific notes about the scene. It's just more of the same stuff. People having strange reactions to Howard people interacting with him in a way that doesn't make sense. Like this duck is talking to you and telling you that you need to release your band out of their contract. And I don't know, it's just, it's more of the same weird stuff, but there wasn't anything that stuck out to me as this, you know, that I had to write down a note, like, Oh, I need to talk about this. Cause it's weird. And the movie overall is weird. And weird it was just stuff. Weird. Oh, you mean like space rabies? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did not write that down, but I I didn't necessarily have a problem with that. I thought that that was maybe not funny per se, but like, it didn't bother me. I thought it was one of those like, hey, you know, yeah, space rabies. Like he's starting to learn. I guess he's starting to embrace that people, people know he's not from here. And there's this mysteriousness about him that's frightening in a way. And so he's playing into that by saying, you know, oh, you'll get space rabies, you know, if he bites them and they'll die or whatever. Not only that, it's but strange. his big bluff is, his big bluff is space rabies. You'll die if I bite you in 15 seconds. That is not a very good bluff. As soon as you have to bite somebody and they don't die, oh, cool, I'm still alive. But well, I think, in, now I you're think dead. well, they did just see him beat a couple of guys up. So, you know, and as small as he is, so we got humanoid duck talking sentient mm-hmm. right he got up and took a licking beat them up you know at knife point right so he needed something else to up the ante i think at that point if a humanoid duck had beat me up and had me at knife point and said if he bit me i would get space rabies and die in 15 seconds i might be inclined to believe him and not challenge that also i mean you're right it's not a good bluff it's not a good bluff for people like us but the people he's bluffing to, they're probably drunk or probably high. They're probably confused by having a talking sentient duck who just tried to beat them up. And then you're like, you know what? It's not worth it. I, even though, yes, he's on the bar and I got a knife to his throat. If I could die within 15 seconds because this crazy creature bit me, 
maybe it's not really worth the hassle. Yeah. I get the feeling if the argument that, that all these people are drunk and high, and that's why they would agree with this, that that means the manager letting Beverly and the rest of the band out of their contract would probably not hold up in court if all the witnesses are drunk and high. <laughs> yeah. But we're not here to debate the validity of their contract or the cancel thereof. Yeah. Uh, no, that's for our secondary podcast. Uh, well, we will be discussing that next time. Right, let's move on from this scene because there really isn't any uh, beyond that. We meet the rest of the band. Phil is back. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> <laughs> Phil is back and has a couple more theories about where Howard came from. Ultimately, I'm not going anywhere, but he does mention he's got a friend that may have the answer. And then we move on and we leave the apartment. Which, which which leads real quickly to Phil just being the worst. He has to get a feather from Howard. Instead yeah. of trying to get his consent, he just is just like, I'm going to get you. Yeah. And it's it's not great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Phil is a horrible person. But I still think and then I still Night think ends better. and it's the, net, it's the following day. And we don't have to discuss about anything that happened between him getting a feather and then the following day. No, we have to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> So after Phil gets the feather, they go back to Beverly's apartment. We get to see Howard playing some music. We get a little bit more of some, you know, some payment back on that investment that he he was in a band. Some music, some synth stuff. It's it's not bad, but we can also tell it's not great, which is probably why he didn't continue his musical career. But then we get the thing that definitely is what shouldn't be in here if it's PG. And just the the insinuation of this scene is is disturbing to me, where they basically climb in bed together and have a bit of a jokingly romantic moment where Beverly essentially says, Howard kind of comes on to her, you know, and it's kind of jokingly like, you know, oh, maybe we, not in, not in these words, but is essentially like, you know, oh, you know, maybe we should hook up kind of deal. And maybe I should find love in the animal kingdom. And she... <laughs> yeah plays into it very cringingly and towards the end she does say that she was just playing with him but dang is she laying it on thick especially because of the way that she's dressed she is not to steal something from nathan that you know we had discussed uh, in previous conversations but you know the way that she's dressed is pretty inappropriate for being in front of this person she doesn't ultimately doesn't really know I don't know if you wanted to go into that a little bit more, Nathan, about your thoughts about how, how that- I, I try to skip this scene entirely. So. <laughs> Nathan's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want any thoughts on it. Um, what, what and we will not linger is... here long. But the point is, is that it, 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 why are we, why are we playing with the idea that these two characters are going to have sex? What gets me about it is like, all right, they're flirting back and forth together, whatever. And then all of a sudden, as soon as she's like, okay, well, let's follow through on that. He, it turns out, oh, Howard is just all blustered. You know, he's got nothing behind it. He's like, ah, no, no, be gentle, please. It's like, if there is a point to the scene, which I still argue there isn't, it's just, again, setting up that whole, that Howard has standards and he's not necessarily the hero or the anti-hero or the person you might even think he is. So I get what you're saying, that him being inconsistent, that he is being flirty. There are plenty of people who are like that, that they... They cast the line out there, and as soon as they catch something, they're like, what do I do? You know, and they just kind of freeze, and they don't know what to do next. I mean, it just, that's how some people are. They're, they don't follow through, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think, again, if there's a point, it's just to help speak to his character, and that he is, he jokes about it, but he's not really going to follow through with it. Just ultimately disturbing, but yeah. whatever. We'll move on. Let's not belabor the point. So we get Phil again. He's back with this scientist. 
and another person from that same science place. They have the explanation for how Howard came to Earth, and it's basically got something to do with a space laser. So real Uh, quick, first off, they walk into the apartment loft thing. They see the outline shadow whatever through a blanket or something of Howard and Beverly there. My first thought is like, Phil mentions that the door was open. In Cleveland? As we've been presented? Why is Beverly, who you were saying has been presented as sort of smart, why is she leaving her door open? It may be a situation to where, uh, I forget who said it, how like it looks like she's in a loft in a warehouse. So maybe like she she's under the impression she's the occupant in this warehouse because she is a squatter there. And so like she'll close the outside doors, but as far as the door leading from within the warehouse to the loft, she doesn't often close. I mean, but, I, but I, but I know- But point being, we've, we've been presented this area where she performs as being not great area, street gangs and bikers and everything. Locked door. Close them at least. So we learned that the space laser is what brought him back or what brought him to Earth in the first place. And then we're taken to the facility uh, because they're thinking that they may be able to do it again and send him home. I don't, I don't really have any issues with any of this part. When they get there, they learn that something has gone wrong again with the laser. The one point in this that I will give to Phil as Phil and Howard and Beverly arrive at this science, the, the main scientists had gone ahead of them to reset up this experiment to send Howard back to his planet. As the, the trio kind of get there, they encounter this scientist who is all like, my eyes, my eyes. And he briefly tells them that things have gone terrible and this badly burned guy walks off. And Phil, at the very least, is like, he all right? Should we do something? before they all just continue on their <laughs> That's the only good point I'm going to get. Um, so then they discover that something has gone wrong with the laser again. This, the lead scientist is hurt in some way, but also feels strange. The, but the cops show up, right? The so cops the show the up time- and that's what causes them to leave? So the timeline goes like this. They get there. The main scientist, whose name is Jennings, has disappeared. Something went wrong in this experiment. They Nobody can find him. He's gone. The, the police then get there. They take Howard into a separate room. And the main detective, who is characterized very much as like, I don't want to be, this is not, throughout every scene he's in, sees that, oh, all right, this is obviously a thing in a, a guy in a costume. They try to strip him down to take him out of his costume. And this is the very bad puppet scene I was referring to earlier. Okay, yeah. Because obviously... Once you get him out of his clothes, there's not enough mass there for somebody to be inside of it. So I'm, I'm assuming it has to be a puppet. That's it true. is terrible. And he's just like, whatever. I don't know what this is. Fine. We're going to arrest him. What for? Illegal alien. I, I think Great that falls back onto a bad duck pond. Great oh, job. Gosh. Yeah. So, but the cops show up, then they, they find Jennings, right? And the, they leave. Beverly and Howard find Jennings. The yes. Please. They're there. They honestly, for whatever reason, seem more concerned about Howard because Howard and Beverly escape from them. I really hope in, in the process of the escape, Beverly ends up with one of the police officer's guns, which she continually aims at a diff- an officer. Mm-hmm. I really hope she had some gun training because that is not a great situation to be in. But hey, whatever. It doesn't matter. A minute later, they toss the gun. Cool. And then they find Jennings as they're trying to escape and he seems a little off and weird. And they're all like, hey, we should leave. The cops are looking for us. Jennings is like, I've got a car. They all go to the car. 
Jennings, who still clearly seems not well, decides to drive. Yeah. As opposed to letting Beverly drive, maybe? We don't know for sure if she has a license or not, but definitely Jennings should not have been driving if he was not feeling right. yeah. Jennings' condition progressively worsens, and then they decide that maybe he needs something to eat? Yeah. So they pull off in a Cajun sushi joint? <laughs> You're missing the point here. It's not that they pull off the sushi Cajun place. They go off on like a good three to five minute, like, it seems like they're acting like they're being chased by the police. But I did not see any police behind them at all. They're just, they're just through this highway, running through a bunch of like signs and everything, and into an accident almost. Mm-hmm. And then they just all of a sudden go over a hill and then they land at this restaurant, mm. which as you pointed out, is a Cajun sushi place with a western theme i got nothing (laughs) and and nothing in the place suggests that they are serving anything cajun or sushi there is the one chef who's asian yeah but then that's like very i didn't say it was a good reference i'm just saying it's a reference that they serve sushi there you know they they order food the, the the doctor continues to act very strange, but Beverly and Howard play it off as kind of like, you know, whatever, he's acting weird. Like this isn't freaking them out until a little bit later where he starts, some of his powers start to come out. It all felt, every time this character, Jennings, speaks in the overlord voice, it's all very like jarring to me. Like the, I guess the acting choice there felt very weird for the voice that they were using. Like it just felt very fake. There wasn't a any sort of editing or modulation done to his voice to make it feel more like it was just very like, I am possessed by an, by a being called an overlord. Like it was him, it was the actor himself doing the voice and then they forgot to replace it with something more menacing. I have a feeling that once they got to the point of filming this at this point, that they're all just kind of tired of the movie and they're just like, hey, just give us a voice like you're possessed by something menacing. And then the, the actor came up with that. And they're like, yeah, sure, just roll with it. That's fine. We're not going to – it's good enough, you know? <laughs> I have a feeling that after the, the that scene that we don't want to discuss, they were just kind of like done with the movie. They were just like, you know, whatever. What are we making? No one knows. Just go with it. You know, do a crazy monster voice. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Like, this movie's already weird. Who cares? I I see the movie as having two halves. You've got the first half, where he's kind of like the fish or duck out of water. And it's trying to be more like a comedy. And then as soon as they move to all the science stuff and the dark overlord over the universe, who is also a demon? Mm Mm-hmm. It just becomes an entirely different movie where mm. it tries to feel epic, but it feels more epic fail. Yeah. I heard uh, one person talking about how they think that once they got to the point where it's like, oh, hey, we can actually send you home with this laser. They're like, oh, God, this movie's only like 40 minutes long. We got to pad it out to make it 90 minutes. So that's the whole reason why there's the whole Jennings getting possessed and then the chase scene away from, well, chase scene away from the laboratory, the restaurant scene, and then getting back to actually get Howard home. That, that was just all like, we got to pad this film out more. Nathan, that would not surprise me. Nathan, I wish this movie were only 90 minutes. It's an hour and 50. <laughs> oh. That's what I was telling to Layla. Like when I got up to that, up to the point where they're like in the diner and stuff, and we get introduced to the Overlord, I was, I had kind of stopped and I was telling Layla, like, you know, this movie's very interesting. 
And I said, you know, I'm at a point where it feels like they made a movie and they got to a certain point where they were just like, crap, we don't really have anything else. What do we do? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, let's throw in this thing now that he has to deal with. And part of me wants to think that maybe it isn't. He is from another world. They do establish that this overlord is from another world that they were sentenced to kind of imprisoned and that the laser freed him when they were trying to set it up to, to send Howard back. But it, it, it does make the movie feel, it, the movie up until that point and then after feels very, it does feel different. Yeah. Well, story-wise, I don't have a problem with it per se because it's a comic book movie. It kind of fits. You're going to have weird alien stuff like that in it. The movie still felt incredibly different after that mm-hmm. point when we're introduced to the over. Yeah. So his powers progress. We get more people picking on and slash potentially wanting to rape Beverly. Uh, we get these truck drivers that come up and start hitting on her. Okay. The Overlord, in a sense, feels like he's almost, you know, we got the Overlord has this code key thing that he's going to use to bring back the other, other Overlords, because, of course, there are more. <laughs> and Howard takes it back. But, like, the Overlord is not really making much of an effort to get it back from Howard. Like, Howard takes the key. He, he demonstrates that he can blow up a ketchup and mustard, that his powers are growing and he can start doing these crazy things, but he doesn't really make any effort to get it back from Howard. And I don't know if that's because he's confident and thinks that he can get it back without any effort, uh, but it just felt very weird that like he's just like, Howard has the code key now. Well, I'm just going to sit here while they do their thing because then Howard gets into the tussle with the the truckers and the whole re- now the whole restaurant is involved in this giant barroom style brawl. Mm-hmm. where they're all basically trying to beat up Howard. Why? I don't quite understand. Uh, oh, because he was trying to protect Beverly from two guys that wanted to, you know, rape her again. And then... I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't quite get the feeling of that. I, saw, I thought they were just more interested in like, oh, hey, what's this thing here? Is that a puppet? Is that a ventriloquist that's talking for the duck puppet? I didn't quite get any rapey. Mm. Well, I mean, they, but they were hitting on her. And this, and then that's when he stepped up and like told him to back off. We get this barroom brawl. Then the Overlord has more of his powers start to unleash. Um, I had a note that his powers don't really look like they do a whole lot to hurt people. Like I didn't get the sense from the way that they showed it that these people were, they were just kind of like knocked over by these beams of light that he's shooting at them. Later on, we see like stuff explode, but in, in the barroom, like you see these rings of light flying at one of the truck drivers and he's just kind of just flips over but there's no real indication that he's really hurting people all that badly maybe it's just freaky looking and that's why they all run away in fear but like the set if we're supposed to be fearful of what this guy can do it it just looks more like a light show than anything i would kind of chalk that up to his powers taking a while to manifest because by the end of the movie his laser beam powers suddenly almost disintegrate beverly and phil Almost. (laughs) He gets the code key back, kidnaps Beverly, leaves in a semi-truck, and we graduate. So so real quick point. I know his powers are developing and everything. At At the end of the diner scene, he demonstrates that he has telekinesis and all that, you know, lifting up Howard, who is holding the key card. My main thought was, why didn't he just use the telekinesis in the first place to grab the key card out of Howard's hand? If he could lift the duck, why not just get the key card? Because a moment later, 
Howard drops it and he uses the telekinesis to grab it. it he can clearly do it. It may have been more to torture to Howard. He may have been just trying to just torture Howard. Like there is some, there is some bit there where like he's messing around because if he wanted to, he's showing that he could clearly just kill everybody, take the, take the key and leave. It may have just been more like asserting his dominance over Howard, like showing like it's not, I can take this card from you very easily, but I'm going to show you just how powerless you are against me by mm-hmm. making you feel weak and inadequate by flipping you around in the air and freaking you. And for me, I always thought it as, um, I don't know how telekinesis works, but I would imagine that if somebody's like holding on to something that I might not be able to target that specific item very well because of their being being wrapped around it essentially. So maybe he needed to have Howard loosen the grip and he did that by picking him up and spinning him around. That way Howard might freak out and then at least let go of it a little bit so he's not holding on to it so tightly. And then he could target the item to pull it out of his hand, but just so happened that Howard dropped it anyways. But I mean, again, we can't really comment on that because we don't know how telekin. Um, just because he was able to pull it from the ground doesn't necessarily mean that he could have taken it by telekinesis whenever he Maybe there are rules to it, or maybe his powers are still developing and just couldn't target it or sense it or whatever. Speaking, I, I, will, I will give the movie credit. Probably the joke I enjoyed the most. At one point, Jenning, Dark Overlord, is shooting some fireballs from his eye towards the kitchen or whatever. And the cook there is like, he must have ate the chili. <laughs> That's not the best joke. That joke works for you. <laughs> nothing in this film, nothing else in this movie works for you, but that joke worked for you. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the card, he kidnaps Beverly, and then steals a semi-truck Yeah, to drive back. Like, this this overlord doesn't have any other powers that could potentially get them somewhere in a different way. But He exhausted himself by doing that big power design. He also does mention, like, being stuck in that body and needing more power and all this kind of stuff, which brings me to my next thing, that this movie graduates from potential bestiality to tentacle porn. Because we've got a tentacle coming out of his mouth and he, they make it look like he's going after Beverly, but then he goes for the socket in the, for the cigarette lighter uh, in what is another very bad practical effect. Props to them for going through the trouble to make it try to look detailed as possible, but it looks... The manipulation of it looked really bad. The arm itself looked alien and freaky, and I appreciate the detail for that matter. But the way that it moved, I did not look at that. Makes Any thoughts on, on the truck, on driving, on their road trip back to, well, first the nuclear power plant? He, they go to a nuclear power plant. Basically, he needs more power. He's getting weak. Nobody, while they seem to be a little freaked out by him, nobody questions this guy who has clearly got something going on with him walking around on this power plant. I, I, I would like to think that our nuclear facilities are a little bit more stringent on who they let in especially with the way that they look, you know what I mean? Like if I, I don't care who you are, if you are the head of the NSA and you're walking into a secure government facility and you're sweating bullets and you're, you're, you're speaking weird and your teeth are all messed up and your clothes are all tattered and stuff, I am not letting you in the building. I don't, I don't yeah. care who you are. I don't care if it threatens my job. Like something is up with you. But uh, he goes in to the nuclear, what I can only assume is a nuclear reactor, absorbs all the power, and then walks out and nobody is threatened by any of the radiation. They talk about how crucial it is that the facility is protected and they're not going to have another, I think they referenced Chernobyl or something in the movie. They referenced something about it being safe. Yeah. But he straight up breaks through their security 
systems and opens the door to the reactor and yeah, nothing. Everybody's walking around. They're surprised that, you know, they know something happened. They see a hole in the wall, but like nobody's freaking out that there's a radiation leak. So uh, I just found that very weird that it's like, again, reactions to situations in this movie are very, very throughout. Yeah, honestly, the whole point from the end of the diner up until later in the movie when we finally get back to the science place, all pointless. We did not need any of what's coming. So he gets his power and goes back to the facility because he's going to use the laser to bring back all the other dark overlords. We go back to Howard, who wakes up after being knocked out, right? I think he knocked him out when he left. And he wakes up and finds the cops are there in response to the bar fight or whatever. And Phil is has been arrested and is in the cop car. Mm-hmm. Phil tells him to break the window with a rock. But then when he goes to open the door, Phil crawls through the front, through the, the through over the front seat and then out the window. Yeah. And what kind of cop, I mean, I don't know what cop cars were set up like back then, but like there was no one sitting down watching this guy. No cops in the area to see this guy crawl out of the window. <laughs> and then the fact that Howard was able to open the door to the back, to the back seat without a key or anything just was like, Cleveland police doing a great job, man. <laughs> not only that. No, one, no wonder the town looks like it does at the beginning of the movie. Not only that, but I'm having a very bad time imagining the scale going from the main science place on their little chase, non-chase, to the diner. Like, why did they arrest him at the science place and bring him to the diner mm-hmm. as opposed to taking him back to a police station? Just send one car with him back to the police station for questioning, booking, whatever you need. Why did they feel the need to bring Phil? I know it's plot convenience, whatever. The there shouldn't point, have been no reason an actual cop should have brought him to the diner. Another point is maybe he pissed off the cop enough that the cop's like, you know what, I'm going to torture him before I take him in for booking. So he's going to sit in this back seat with handcuffs behind his back until I decide to take him in. <laughs> Either way, we get more Phil. They break out of the police car and then they find a plane to, steal, yeah. to fly back to the, the, the facility, but there are tons of vehicles around them to hotwire and steal. Do you think either of them know how to hotwire a vehicle? Do you think either of them know how to fix a plane? I mean, they did eventually. It took them all night, but they got it fixed. And... But don't, do you think well, it'll take less time to hotwire a car? But it's more conspicuous. So not only that, but you say all night. No, sunup is in about an hour that Phil said. Oh, uh, okay. So it's not, this, the, the time frame of this, in addition to the distance scale, makes mm-hmm. sense. Nobody mm-hmm. thought this through. They put this thing together, I guess, lickety split somehow. I don't know how, because Phil is handcuffed the entire time. Yep. That he's putting together this little plane, this little hobby plane. <laughs> Could they not have used any of the tools to just break it real quick? Like, no. The entire time during the upcoming chase scene with the police and the plane, Phil is handcuffed. He's mm-hmm. not handcuffed until about 10 minutes later, movie time, when mm-hmm. they get to the science place and they find a space laser. And mm-hmm. then finally they break his cuffs off screen. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So, yeah, we get a crazy plane chase sequence where they never quite get this plane thing off the ground so much. You know, it goes up in little bursts and comes crashing right back down again. We crash into the water at the science facility. We get the same I can't swim thing. I'm kind of fast forwarding through some of this because it's just a really bad yeah. action. It's just a really bad action. Like, like I said, poorly, there it's was... cut all over the place. 
if they had wanted to cut this movie down to 90 minutes, they easily could have cut from the diner to up to this point. Yep. Like we maybe could have had a little montage of like, oh no, Phil and Howard have to catch up to Jennings and Beverly and they're all going to get to the science place one right after the other or something. Did not need the nuclear power scene, did not need the tentacle scene, did not need the flying in a plane scene. Also, why did Phil think it would make more sense for Howard to be the one to pilot? Because he was handcuffed together. Oh yeah, and his hands are... No. How would any of that make sense? Because the throttle's on his left side, and then the yoke's in front of him. He can't go back and forth with his cuffed hands to use the throttle and then the yoke at the same time. To me, he sort of implies that it has something to do with Howard and his natural instinct to fly. Mm -hmm. To me, that just says that Phil is... (laughs) A duck, you expect it to fly? Not cool, man. Not cool. That's wrong. (laughs) That's wrong. Uh, We we fast forward past the chase scene. They arrive at the science facility. They go in. They need something to be able to defeat the Overlord. Phil happens to have heard about some space laser that his buddy was working on. It is behind a locked door. Phil tries to guess the key to open the door, and Howard Quackfoo kicks the door open. I guess Howard's kick is very, very strong because, again, as small as he is, if he was able to kick the door open, Phil should have very well just have been able to push as as, as easily as it came. That's um, the power of Quackfoo. <laughs> so they get this space laser. They mount it on some golf cart tram looking thing and attack the overlord they don't get to use it right away because the overlord attacks them injures phil uh so phil is out for the count what it is is they're having an issue they they can't figure out how to get it to start Mm. then howard pushes a button and oh no it starts moving on its own rushes out there and crashes and they go over to try to fix it or figure it out dark overlord shoots his little a laser beam that phil knocks phil back and Howard's still like, oh no, how do we get this to work? And Phil, in a kind of a dazed state, is like, try the seatbelt, Howard. <laughs> what? How safety. They what? It's all about safety. They had the condom, and now this, they had the helmet. Howard was wearing a helmet when he was flying the plane. Where did the helmet come from? How does it, how does it miraculously fit Howard? He's wearing a helmet. He's strapped in on the plane. They had to have him wear a seatbelt when he was driving the cart. The helmet you could maybe explain away as at one point Phil drops a line about, you know, somebody's weekend hobby is going to be our escape. Sure. So maybe this weekend hobbyist who had a plane had a kid and maybe they took a kid up with them. I don't know. I can kind of forgive that. But this whole like the seatbelt thing, like this thing, you can't control, control it without getting in there and attaching your seatbelt first. Sure. Why not? (laughs) I feel like you're not getting enough credit to how uh, Phil actually says the line of, Try the seatbelt, Howard. Or he's just like so stunned and you can barely understand what he's saying because he's mumbling so bad and he doesn't move his lips or his mouth at all. It's just, try the seatbelt, Howard. <laughs> I just, I, I'm telling you, as as much as you don't like Phil as a character, Tim Robbins did an amazing job with what he had. <laughs> like, I, I'm telling you, I loved his, I loved Phil just because of how absolutely crazy he was. And Tim Robbins, Academy Award, come on give it up for the guy like it was <laughs> it was great i don't i can't recall exactly how but they basically they they activate the laser or something and the jennings gets his body back they they have a dueling laser fight remember ah uh, yes howard shoots off his laser the dark overlord shoots off his 
They are conveniently two different colors, so you can see that battle of back and forth, and then all of a sudden, you know, they explode. <laughs> I don't think it actually hit either of them. It just all of a sudden was like, exploded. <laughs> so out of this explosion, you know, they get to Howard. He's okay. He's a little dazed or whatever. And then we just see Jennings back to normal. Completely Prior normal. To, yeah. Prior to this, Jennings' overlord version had just kind of decomposed into this, yeah. like his hair was falling out. He had long, nasty nails. And then we just see Jennings and he's like, oh, it must have knocked the dark overlord out of me, but he's still here. And I'm thinking to myself, Jennings made a point earlier in this movie of how he could feel, I don't know how, that this thing was overriding his body and rearranging him and stuff. Resequencing so DNA. <laughs> yes. So how does the demon overlord getting knocked out of him equal, my body is fine? Yeah. Why wasn't he just like a big bloody mess? Or not there at all? Yeah. Uh, you would think it probably would have been better for him to like have been blown apart and that's what really overlord into then now his giant mom. Yeah, I get the feeling maybe there was like, I don't know, maybe there was like a test screening from somebody and they were like, oh, we don't want this character to die. What happened to him? I don't know. It just, it doesn't make any sense. But yes, it, this brings us to the giant stop motion scorpion crab monster thing that is the dark overlord. Real quick, before like we he's just full of he's full of teeth and pincers, and he's gonna get you. Before we do talk about him, you mentioned maybe in test screening, who walked out of that test screening and said, "Yeah, this is all you need to fix." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if I'm walking out of this test screening, I'm saying, "Do not release this movie." Right. Do not. You need to redo the whole thing. Maybe the test Nathan, screeners had too much toot. <laughs> Nathan, you stole my joke. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> we get this giant monster thing that is obviously stop motion at, at, at the very beginning in a very bad way. It kind of gets a little bit better as it goes along, but at the very beginning, it was horrendous. I, I thought um, the stop motion was fine just because given the time frame, it was akin to the Rancor in Return of the Jedi because Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, did the effects for this movie. Yes. It just, it looked bad. It did get a little bit better as it went. But then we get a basically a giant monster battle. You know, what am I missing here? So what happens next? Howard gets back onto his laser cart thing. He shoots it at the Dark Overlord after Dark Overlord has kind of threatened Beverly and Phil by shooting them with a very slow acting disintegration ray. I don't know if that's what they were going for. And Howard blows up the Dark Overlord. Yay. But oh no, he had already set off the timer countdown sequence to bring over his other Dark Overlord buddy. That's four minutes. The timer, the timer thing is really weird. So it starts off at four minutes. I'm used to most movie timers being slow. Like mm -hmm. four minutes would turn out to take about 10 to 15 in a movie. Yes. This one was going fast. In the span of five seconds, they went about 30. So... It was just, they were like, I guess maybe trying to get to the end of the movie real quick. But they're like, okay, we got a Howard need to destroy the laser or else more dark overlords are going to come down and rule the planet. Jennings is telling him that. And Beverly's like, no, but if you do it, you can't go home. Mm -hmm. And it presents Howard with this choice. And it's just like, meh. Because <laughs> it's such a stupid setup for the choice. Because of course, you're going to destroy the laser. Well, although it's funny because I believe uh, the Jennings monster at the beginning sets up that 
his kind cannot survive on the planet without a host initially. And then you have this swarm of these dark lords coming in, and there's at best three human bodies there for them to inhabit. So like only three of them. Well, to be fair, they did only copy and paste three dark overlords. In, you know, oh no, they're approaching. There were three in the laser beam coming down, and mm-hmm. also they all look the same. Well, does what I meant was that does that make me specious? <laughs> but what I was saying was that even though, regardless of how many dark overlords they show in the laser, there's only three human bodies there that they can possess. So that means only three of them will get to survive, and everybody else is going to die. Because according again, according to Jennings early on, he needed a host in order to survive in the world until he came to until he came right. to full power. Right. So Howard decides he's not gonna go home and he's just mm-hmm. gonna stay on Earth. Uh, and then they destroy the laser, stopping the dark overlords from coming. And then uh, you know, they talk about how they kind of have like a little bit of a moment there before they progress to a final musical number where all of a sudden Cherry Bomb has exploded. They're performing on a big stage in what seems like a pretty crowded theater or, you real, know, real, arena real or whatever. Quick, real quick, backing up. So Howard blows up the laser, whatever. Everybody thinks that Howard maybe died in the explosion because he's laying there lifeless. And all of a sudden, Howard is just talking like, oh, I'm not Howard anymore. I am the Dark Overlord. It's like, and he's joking around, whatever. Man, that is a poor timing for that joke. <laughs> Come on, read the room. Oh, man. So... Cherry Bomb looks like they're popular. Howard is their manager now or whatever. Phil is helping with the stage stuff. Why they would give Phil anything to do is beyond me. Because <laughs> well, he doesn't I mean, seem to be very good at anything. One, he's sleeping with a member of the band. Oh, yeah. that is true. I, I found that the musical number was fine. You know, it seemed like what would happen if Howard stuck around. You know, he's, you know, he's on this planet. He's got, he can't, none of the jobs he got worked. Uh, so he needed something to do. He got them out of their contract. So yeah, why not become their manager and also perform and do music like he's always wanted? So I thought the musical number fit. But again, it's just beginning of the movie, first half, fine. Overlord stuff, what the hell, musical number. So just felt like that gap here between up until the Overlord, everything with the Overlord, just like you could have cut that out and literally replaced it with anything would have made more sense. It's just... It was so weird to just see like, yeah, everything's fine now. Howard saved the world. And now he's a, you know, we're in this super popular band now. I get the feeling part Mm. of it. I have not read personally any of the early Howard comics because again, they were like from, I want to say he was introduced in 1973, but just from skimming some articles about it in Wikipedia page for it, some of his early introduction, he was fighting a demon character. So I'm guessing they might have just skimmed the comics themselves, the filmmaker, and they were just like, oh, this sort of fit the comics. Why not? So that's probably why he was fighting it. And the ending musical thing, it wouldn't be an A's movie without a giant big musical celebration. <laughs> I, I'm fine with that. It yeah. finishes the movie. That's the part I'm, I'm, I care about. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the end of the movie. We've had a lot of thoughts on the various parts of it. Let's kind of go around the room here and survey kind of a summary of your feelings on the movie and whether or not you found the movie terrible. Nathan? So if it wasn't clear throughout all this, I did not hate the film. Yes, it has problems. Yes, there are easy, simple solutions to fix those problems. But overall, the cinematography, I thought, was decent. Like, there wasn't any shaking cameras. The camera motion was smooth. None of the shots really seemed to be improperly framed. Like, everybody was in focus. They were in the center of the shot and everything. So, I mean, 
and there have been some movies I've seen where like the camera is just shaking so much and it drives me insane because I start to get nauseous trying to watch this movie. So like after watching that blockbuster do that, I'm like any movie that can have a stable camera, that's fine. That's great. That's two points towards you. I know it, a lot of people don't care for the music through the movie. I didn't see any problem with it. Like I actually enjoyed most of the songs and they seemed to fit the places where they were at, I feel. So I'd like them. And as Robert pointed out, especially with Tim Robbins, like, I feel like the actors did a good job with the script they had that, you know, they weren't really necessarily give good direction and they weren't given a good script, but with what they had, they did a good job presenting it. Like, yeah, there was inconsistencies with certain background characters for introductions or whatever, but like the three main ones, I feel like they did a good job portraying the character they had with the material they had. So if we're doing pass fail, I'm going to say not terrible. So I'm kind of in the same boat with Nathan. I did not hate them. For the most part, I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was different. I think the movie is kind of like in this area where it is strange enough. The movie itself is just so weird that you kind of embrace that strangeness in, in the sense that it's not a, it's not, the movie is not bad. It is intentionally bad. I heard someone say this earlier in a video I was watching where they were talking about visual effects and you know, whether or not, you know, they were intentionally bad or if they were just doing a really bad job. And that in, in artistry, if you're going to do something that's bad and you're going to put it out there, if you're trying to make something look bad on purpose, you need to be very intentional about how you do that so that people don't view your finished product as something that is indeed bad because you were no good at it. Because mm -hmm. there's a difference between something looking bad because you did a really bad job and something looking bad because you wanted it to look bad. You wanted it to, to be, to look like a failure. And that in, sen that in a sense was a success uh, if, it, if it ended up looking like a failure. And I feel like whether, and this may not have been the intention of the movie, is that their intention was to be weird. And the movie is weird enough that I feel like they achieved that. And so I don't look at some of these issues so much as like really big, there, there are problems with the movie, but they don't, they don't kill it for me. Because a lot of these things you can nitpick about all kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. uh, where was Howard going when he was on the bus? I can't think of examples now, but I'm sure there are plenty of movies where a character makes a progression that doesn't make sense, where we're not given all the information. And so we wonder how they got to where they, how they get there. Every sort of piece of entertainment has these problems. And so I feel the movie was weird enough that I just embraced that weirdness and just went along for the ride. And I was like, this is strange. I feel like they made it strange on purpose. So I'm just going to embrace the strangeness and see where this goes. And it was crazy and strange enough where I, I didn't hate it. I don't think it's the best movie. There are parts that are cringy that we won't discuss anymore that I wish that weren't in there. Overall, the movie for me was not Jane. I'm going to have to dissent. This was just bad. Very, <laughs> very terrible. Not much about it. Man. You can kind of forgive that for some. It is a movie about an alien duck from outer space. But when you have to try to make a bunch of logic leaps just for the bus, the lady at the job placement place, any or any of this, it just, it does not make any sense. The movie score was okay. The songs, typical 80s, that's all right. I was, it weirded me out a little bit at first. It, the movie score starts with like a little jazzy noir type thing. And then as soon as you leave Duck World, it transitions into like trying to sound, you know, heroic and epic. Mm. And I get the feeling that's what they were trying to do with this movie. It seemed like 
So Lucasfilm was behind this. Lucas was behind. He did not need to make another Star Wars, especially not this quickly. If this had been scaled back, maybe there could have been something here. But instead it had to be, all right, Howard is eventually going to fight this dark overlord from outer space. That's a demon. Cool. It did not need, Mm -hmm. not at all. Especially not from the director had been with Lucas since American Graffiti. Mm -hmm. He helped write American Graffiti Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. This was one of his few directing credits. He did not direct anything else after this, from what I could tell. Not going to say this is why, but y'all decide. (laughs) Point being, this movie is only good as a curiosity. That's it. It doesn't really have any kind of redeeming qualities. It was terrible. Wow. So that concludes our thoughts on Howard the Duck. Uh, You can watch it for free on the new streaming app, Peacock. It is available online and on most smart devices, except for in Samsung. <laughs> Give it a watch yourself. And let, us kn- let us know if you agree or not with either of our, our viewpoints. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, share your thoughts in the comments. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast instead, drop us a line uh, on our, with your thoughts on our website. This is going to be terrible.show. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook by searching the Terrible Podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our review of Howard the Duck. Uh, Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next one. Be good to each other out there. Goodbye.